Hi, I'm Matthew Vandergeusen. Written as an article for Massage Magazine in the early 1990s, Embracing the Beast has sustained some of the most constant interest of any of my published works. Originally intended as information for massage therapists and clients, Embracing the Beast draws upon my experience as a massage practitioner and somatic educator. It explores how we get disconnected from the body, our stuck relationship with discomfort and pain, and the unexpected pathways that can lead to healing. Embracing the Beast provides a foundation for many of the perspectives that inform the Embodiment Project. You can find out more about the Embodiment Project at somatics.ca. Thank you for listening. Embracing the Beast, Part 2. The Two Worlds. Let me go, cried Br'er Rabbit, or I will punch you again. Untangling the web of control over body responses is no easy task. Anyone who tries quickly learns some sympathy for Br'er Rabbit as he struggles to disengage himself from the tar baby. A large part of the problem is that we have hamstrung a fundamental sensory ally, the human body. And this is not a problem we are going to solve out of our heads. An example of how hard it becomes to understand body information when we have lost contact with the immediacy of its expression can be shown in the experience of one of my clients. She had come to see me because she was suffering from tension and badly wanted some relief from pain in her shoulders. I began to work with the muscle tension as, as I did, she started to talk about the events of her day. She had been through a horrible time, involved in an ongoing fight with a co-worker. Now, talking out the tension is not an uncommon occurrence when working with the body. Body work brings a greater awareness of the body. And as the tight muscles get worked with, we feel them more and associations are made with the experiences we had when we first tightened them, a kind of place memory, in the same way that the smell of baking bread might bring back a flood of memories of visiting grandma's house when you were very young. As feeling and body are associated with again, the control that we had over the feeling becomes softened and freed from that control the body is able to respond with more immediacy to what is actually being felt. For my client, as she talked, the feelings surrounding her experience of the day became more consciously recognized, and the muscles involved in controlling the experience, in this case in her shoulders, started to loosen their hold. What was held in limbo at a physical level could now be experienced again at an inner level and the body is freed to a greater degree of expressiveness. But then as her body began to respond and have more freedom of movement, and my client started to feel more, what she became aware of was the very anger that she had had that afternoon. She was horrified. Now I'm getting upset again, she cried in dismay. I'll lose all this relaxation you've worked so hard for. And of course, at the moment she said those words, her back indeed tightened again. Feeling was again controlled, body expression was stopped, and the muscles of the shoulders were tight. From blush to gesture, the body is moved to express what we feel. 
And like the movement of aurora borealis across the night sky, every flicker of feeling excites and moves the tissues of the body in the places where we feel the experience. Control of that expression shows itself as control over body movement. A tight jaw, controlled breath. In fact, any tension in the body can be seen, like the tight shoulders of my client, to have been control on the expression of what is felt. When we try to control the onset of pain, we hold it, suspended as an oyster holds the irritation of a grain of sand, still there but separated and held away from our immediate awareness. But by distancing ourselves from the pain and dulling the immediacy of its experience, we only manage to seep pain deeper into the body. In the same way that the princess dealt with the frog, we attempt to deal with the problems presented to us by the body by putting them at arm's length and not seeing that through this very distancing, we become locked into a negative relationship with the body, dependent on maintaining our control over the disturbing demands of feeling. In our effort to push away the unexpected, in our effort to push away the unpleasant experiences of the body, we succeed, but at the price of binding ourselves to those experiences in a grip that, like the body tension associated with it, just won't let go. Although it may seem to have some negative side effects, denial of pain is still something that we can all emphasize with. After all, pain is not a popular word or experience in this world of ours, and if we do relate to it, it is usually in terms of learning to eradicate it from our lives. We quiet the pain of the body with pills, with subliminal tapes, with surgery. And when it comes to the body, our culture is on a fervent search for the perfect and painless body. And yet, as we shall see in bodywork, transformative change happens at the very places where pain is greatest. It is the very experiences that we would most like to avoid that have the greatest need and offer the greatest possibility of healing. It seems as if because we seldom pay attention to our bodies when all is going well, the possibility for change needs to start at the place of discomfort at the point where the body calls us most strongly to come to terms with it. Body discomfort is a voice that calls to be responded to. It is the voice of the child tugging at our apron strings, crying for our attention. And much of the reason for the continuation of bodily discomfort can be found in the decision of the frog's princess. If she has little time for the frog, his only value to her is that he is able to move freely in the dark, moist world of the well, a world that she has little ability or inclination to explore. And so too often with ourselves, we give a minimal amount of attention to the murky world of bodily needs and distance ourselves from exploring any deeper relationship with its sensory depths. And yet the exploration of that relationship is precisely the road to healing. The difficulty in finding that road is that we are so completely caught up in the way of doing things that initiated the problem. Even when we try to deal with problems of the body, we continue to create solutions that are nothing more than a rehashing of the same way of dealing with the same old problems. 
like Br'er Rabbit embracing the tar baby, everything that we do seems to only pull us deeper into the experience. A newspaper article I saw recently is a good illustration of this. Apparently, growing awareness of the influence of stress on heart attack has caused stress-laden office workers to take up sports, such as running. The idea, as you might assume, is to get their bodies in shape and their tension levels lower. The problem is that these fledgling athletes also incur a high number of body stress injuries, such as shin splints and sometimes heart attack. Now, why should this happen? Apparently, exercise is being approached with the same attitude that created success and too much stress in the workplace. Minds that were already well trained to drive bodies to long hours and high levels of anxiety were quickly applied to driving the body into success-oriented exercise routines that were far beyond the body's capacities. Once again, success was being striven for, but again at a cost. Without a change in attitude, exercise only replaced ulcers with painful joints and didn't lower the stress to the heart. The mind continues to reign as the only valued source of information with which to approach life, a view that leaves the perspective and needs of the body still crying out far behind us. In this relationship, the princess is the conscious mind. It is that part of us that wants to take the good out of life experience without any investment of our princess world into hearing the voice of the frog world the dark, moist, and often treacherously swampy world of the body. So let us take a moment for a closer look at the world of the mind. And perhaps in doing this, we can gain more of an understanding of what is needed to heal the rift that can rise between them. In the body-mind relationship, the world of the mind is the world of image. It is a world that perceives and imagines and uses its imaginal abilities to organize information. Images allow the mind to take the rich array of information it receives and get the picture. But the imaginal capacity of the mind is not just a receptive one. Images have been called the bridge between conscious processing of information and physiological change, spreading their influence through both the voluntary and involuntary nervous systems. A large part of the picture that the mind receives is made up of sensory information impressed on the brain at an area of the cerebral cortex called the homunculus. The homunculus is a cross-section of the brain with one half devoted to receiving sensory information and the other for sending motor or movement signals to the body. The sensory half of the homunculus has larger areas for the parts of the body that have a higher concentration of nerve endings, such as the palm of the hand, and smaller areas for parts of the body that we need less information from, such as the back. A picture of the body created on the basis of the proportion of homunculus used for sensing that area would have a huge face with enormous lips and mouth, a huge hand with an enlarged index finger, and a very small trunk and limbs with huge feet, whereas the motor side of the homunculus has a similar look but with slight changes, a larger thumb and a smaller index finger, for example. 
The amount of information received by the sensory side of the homunculus is fed to the motor side and is decisive in the amount of control that the motor homunculus has on the body. The more information the sensory side receives, the better able is the motor side to guide the body in the demands of body movement. This ability to specifically affect the body has been found by researchers to show response not just at a muscular level, but to affect tissues, organs, and even cells. Recent research has indicated that human imagination may even have a strong effect on the workings of the immune system, influencing states of sickness and health. The effect of the imagination on the body can be so immediate that it has been called preverbal. Our ability to learn and refine body movement is also affected here. It is actually possible to stimulate the sensory homunculus with an increased level of input by working that area of the body more. And the result of this increased sensory information is that the motor homunculus is now able to create more defined motor signals to that part of the body and a higher degree of movement control. This is the function used by the yogi who learns to control the movement of each joint of a hand. Continued practice of the movement brings increased sensory awareness, which in turn allows greater control over movement. The ability of the mind to imagine is at the root of our consciousness of life. It allows us to form sensory impressions into pictures of existence and to use those images to direct our bodies to movement. The mind's ability to work with images allows it to seemingly have no bounds. In an instance, our minds can be in Moscow or will have created a world never experienced before. Where the body, on the other hand, lives in a slower, more prosaic world. The body has its strength in feeling. And just as imagery is the mind's way of getting the picture, of taking its information and creating holisms or realizations, Feelings take the sensations of the body and create holisms of sensory experience. Feelings allow us to get a feel for situations. They allow us to respond to body sensations in a conscious and intelligible way. They give content to images, engendering movement and form that have meaning and purpose. The mind may bring us the structure of the world, but it is the body that gives us its content. An assessment of body sensations can tell us whether we feel happy or sad. They can keep us in touch with the important subtleties of life, such as whether we are too close to the car ahead or whether there is something that just doesn't feel quite right about someone we've met. And like the dancer who is moved in the creation of a dance, images give form to what is felt. But every good actor and dancer also has to feel the part before they bring life to the image that they are creating for the role. Our ability to read body sensation through feelings tells us vital information about the inside story of life. And even more so for the body worker for whom it is vital to have an enhanced ability to feel his or her way through the subtleties of the work. Our bodies become essential eyes on our inner world. It is true that the eye can be deceived, but the heart, when listened to with a discerning ear, can tell us much more about our world than the mind will ever notice.
Working together, the body feeds the mind sensory information about life experience, telling us what is felt about them. And images, in turn, have a powerful effect on the body, bringing the many individual muscles of the body together to be used in concerted action. The input of sensation from the body allows the mind to form images that are as concise and immediate as the needs of body movement in that moment. This interplay between the sensory and imaginal strengths of body and mind have been used to good effect by athletes when they want to train the body to respond to the finest degree in competition. Between them, the body and mind bring a richness to human experience that can especially be felt when there is a lack of information from either sphere. Sensory deprivation has been shown to reduce the imagination to fantasy, while those who have little sensory contact with their body, such as those who have been sexually abused, have also been found to have a reduced ability to form clear images around the body. As we shall see, a lack of clear images about the body has a deep effect on our ability to move and respond through the body. Like the athlete in training, we can use images consciously, but more often body images become unconscious and they insinuate themselves, for better or worse, into our body image and its expressive language becoming, for example, the slumping posture of one who we say doesn't have a good self-image. But in whatever form they serve us, images and feelings bridge the gap between body and mind and organize the individual muscles of the body so that inevitably the body becomes created in our own image. This difference in perspective between body and mind is important to our understanding of the conflict that can arise between them. While the mind is quick, it is slow to appreciate the seemingly plodding motion of a body that absorbs and digests life through feeling. If our minds can be in Moscow this minute, it will take a lot longer for the body to get there. And if the body is hurt, the mind not wanting to experience the wounds of bodily life is wont, like the princess, to desert the body, forsaking it because of the trials that the body brings us. As in any relationship where there is no relating, tensions inevitably grow, and stifling expression, disregarding one another's needs, unresponsiveness to changing conditions, like a microcosm of everyday life, these same issues are all to be found at play when there's a breakdown in the relationship between body and mind. This is the end of part two of Embracing the Beast.